The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. I'm Brett from Heinemann. On today's podcast, the need for and needs of teachers of color. Growth is uncomfortable, and all things need to be uncomfortable to grow. Those are the words of Tiana Silvis, a member of the current class of Heinemann Fellows. She goes on to say in today's podcast that while conversations about race and privilege are tough and can be uncomfortable, we need to be open to having them. And it's essential to avoid taking these tough conversations personally in order to do the work and get to a better place. Last week, Heinemann opened the applications for the third cohort of Heinemann Fellows. The current class initiated a continuing conversation with Heinemann about inclusivity and the need for teachers of color. This conversation touches on many topics, but one consistent thread is why it is so important for educators of color to be included, what that looks like, and why it's important for teachers of color to be offered space and opportunities for mentorship. Our conversation took place at the end of NCTE 2017 in St. Louis, shortly after the Heinemann Fellows presented. Joining in our talk are Trisha Ibarvia, Ariel Johnson, Anna Osborne, and Tiana Silvis. Tiana begins our conversation on the importance of space. I think the five of us have kind of been driven by being able to support each other, but also want support from the external community. It's just full circle that we're feeling here as women of color. Um, we all have our roots from our elders that have gotten us here. Um, and like I've spoken about how my father, uh, what, 40 years ago, was fighting at Arizona State University with El Grupo to bring teachers of color on board. And here we are in what, what's the year 2017? We're, we're fighting that same fight. And we just think it's really important that our community of educators around us who we, re, we respect and have admire their work and have a deep respect for them um, help us become allies, mentor us. Um, because Pablo Fierre says the oppressed have to liberate themselves. The oppressor cannot. And that is why we just, we need, we need allies in our going forth in our mission um, as we take those steps. Well, I think, um, I think what we found in this group is that strength that we gather from each other and that I know in this experience of being among these wonderful women is that um, I've been able to, uh, or more willing to speak up in ways that I wasn't necessarily willing before because I've garnered strength from all of them. And I think that's the way, um, when you think about our system of education, teachers of color especially are isolated. Mm -hmm. I'm only one of handful of teachers of color in my entire district. Student once asked me, you know, how many teachers of color are there? I'm like, that's a good question. Um, and and we never see each other. We never speak to one another. Issues that teachers of color face in particular are never addressed. Um, so there's power works by isolating. And when you don't have other people to talk to and to um, garner that strength from, then you you don't say anything. It's much easier to live in a status quo environment and just 
quote unquote, teach the content when really there's so many other things that we need to be teaching our kids about being good people in the world and being anti-racist. And I think it's hard to do that when you don't feel like you have either support um, or you don't have those connections with others. So I think it's important for our educational community, if we are really on this, this front line of social justice, to make those spaces for teachers of color to be able to use their voice, to find each other, to mentor us, um, and, and they even just acknowledge, acknowledge and give space and listen, I think. I think the idea of space is so important. This is my 20th year in the classroom, and prior to this, I've taught at schools that um, didn't have very many teachers of color, um, maybe one or two others, if any at all. And um, this year, I am teaching in a school that has predominantly teachers of color, and um It's been an empowering, incredible experience for 19 years. I thought I was fighting a war with others because I was a progressive teacher and I was different than they were in that regard. And then I go to a new space where I'm still a little different Mm -hmm. um, and do things a little differently. But now my colleagues want to know, what is that that you're doing in there? That looks great. I'm interested in that. And nothing has changed about me. The thing that's changed about the space that I'm in is that I work with other teachers of color. And so I have a network. I have a support system. I'm working in a space where um, I'm not a minority anymore. And so that makes you have to ask the question, mm-hmm, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. what was going on for 19 years of my career? Um, you know, I have changed, but I also haven't changed. I'm, I'm completely dedicated to children and child-centered education. And this is the first time in my career I felt valued. And so how do we create spaces in mm-hmm. schools where there aren't a majority mm-hmm. of teachers of color, where teachers of color feel safe, they feel empowered, and they feel as though they're not in a war. Mm -hmm. They're not in a battle all of the time fighting for children of color and all children ultimately. When I think back to um, my childhood, I, we've talked about this. I've, I have a very um, different experience as a student. I had lots of teachers of color, and um, and I was mentored by a lot of my teachers, both my non, non-teachers of color and my teachers of color. And, you know, the thing is, is that we plant seeds every day in our classroom, and we're facing an educational crisis. We, we do not have enough teachers. We do not have enough teachers of color in many parts of the country. And so I think that when I think back to being the child of a 19-year-old immigrant and a, a Native American Cajun woman, I think to myself, if if I didn't have my teachers of color, if I didn't have my teachers mentoring me, planting seeds, um, saying, you have something to offer to our children, then I wouldn't be here today. And so I really think it's about how do we connect with each other? Because mm-hmm. we, we, the connection, the the threads that we've woven now into, into a rope that ties us together has been crucial to the strength we're feeling as fellows. I think that um, when we're able to talk about race, it's not the elephant in the room mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And that's how I feel is that if we are able to provide a space for talk, then really magical things are going to happen for our kids. And action. Yes. I think we've given each other courage. Um, Mm -hmm. There's always been like this burning light in all of us. And it's, we've been able to help each other in our respective areas, go out and do something Mm -hmm. so that it's going beyond just saying and actually doing that groundwork, um, whatever it may be. Yeah. In our areas. So, yeah, I think speaking of action, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite sections of our text message (laughs) thread was just like, I think there was one morning we were just sharing pictures. This is what I'm doing. Oh, that's right. Mm -hmm. And you could see the, you could see how we had been um, like influenced and um, encouraged by each other. Like, this is what I'm doing to do this work today. And take a picture. And here, you know, are Anna's kids reading. Here are Tiana's kids looking at racism. You know, here are my kids studying compassion. And it's just that kind of, um, you know, that kind of, uh, they keep me in check, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That keeping each other in check because it is so much easier, depending on your school system and where I am, to just go with the flow. And I think that, um, you know, teachers of color, um, it's like where I am, I teach many I teach in a fairly affluent school district. My kids have a lot of power. They socially have a lot of power right now, and politically they will as they Mm -hmm. come a voting age. And um, how are they going to use that power, right? How can we make them more responsible um, with it? And teachers have power. And Mm -hmm. publishing companies have power. And what do we do with that to make sure that all voices are really heard and valued? Um, I went to a session yesterday where they talked about... um, History, as you know, as we all know, are just a series of stories, and some stories have been systematically overlooked, mm-hmm. and there are lots of gaps, and that we have to teach sure students is. to be the historians who will fill the gaps. And I think we as teachers do that work, but I think we as an educational um, community have to do that work with each other. Because I think even in, you know, I look at like my pedagogy books and I'm like, Mm. it is just the same people, like Mm -hmm. in many ways, like on my shelf. And I'm like, who who are the voices that I'm listening to? Mm -hmm. And I think that's just another form of the canon, but Mm -hmm. in education, like in educational publishing. And I think that is also another issue, you know. Um, I want to just mention really quickly an important voice that's not here, Dr. Kim Parker. Yes. yes. The yes. influential work that she has brought into the Heinemann Fellows and how she has been an important voice among all of you, <laughs> but also how influential she's been in speaking to Heinemann. I just mm-hmm. want to honor her for just a minute mm-hmm. just to make sure that we've included her. Can I <laughs> she, say Please do. Please do. Yeah. So I started a doc program since joining fellows, and and I had that day where I was that lone person of color, and I and I, you know, we we work hard. Teachers work hard, so it was a whole day of hard work teaching, and and I sat down and I thought, today's the day I'm going to quit. And Kim texted me and she said, Anna, don't quit. Yeah. We need you, and not quit teaching, but quit. Yeah. The program, and and so that that really made a difference, and, and being able to to know that there are people who are going to tell us don't quit, it's just so important. As as we're having this conversation, we're all encouraging educators of color to apply for the Heinemann Fellowship Program, but as you all have very beautifully said, in their own schools, their mentorship programs, there are things that they should be doing. Don't yeah. quit. Don't give up. But is there something educators of color or someone who can help amplify an educator of color or bring them along or do something to help if you are not an educator of color, but you have 
any form of power that you can do something or you have any form of privilege and you can help? What is something that we can give people that they can do? I think we need to plant seeds for the teachers of the future. I think that if, if we are in 2017 and we're, we have a, a shortage of teachers in some parts of the country and definitely a shortage of teachers of color, we need to remember that we're ambassadors for our job every single day. And we need to really inspire the best and the brightest to join us. I think, um, and I think this is an answer um, maybe that Dr. Kim Parker would give, <laughs> um, <laughs> which, is, uh, which is I think that when um, whether it's your, especially for um, educators um, who are not of color, white educators, mm-hmm. is to call out, mm-hmm. call out other educators who are making racist statements. I mean, I think it's. We've all been in those department rooms. We've been all in those faculty meetings. We've seen what, PDs, yeah. yeah, professional development, mm-hmm. testing. Like when we see something, you can be an ally, but when you see something that you know is wrong, when you hear an educator talk about those kids in a way that is disparaging and dehumanizing, you call it out. Yeah. And it's not enough for the teachers of color in the room to say, that's not right. Because by being a person of color, it's like, oh, well, that's because it's your issue. But it needs to be a universal a universal call to action that, again, people need to use their power to call out those who who maybe not even know or not right. even see. That's the thing. That's, I do believe, huge. I really believe that most educators are really trying their best and they're trying to do what's right for kids, mm-hmm. but they don't see it. Mm-hmm. And so those allies who do see it, they need to speak up. They can't, and if that means they have to sacrifice or they have to put their relationships with their colleagues in an uncomfortable uncomfortable position, then that's what they have to be willing to do because kids depend on it. The way they, if they can say that stuff outside of the classroom, mm-hmm. it is coming across in their teaching. Yeah. It just is. I also think um, not just those overt, mm-hmm. Overtly things, overtly racist things that we see. I think there's covert racism mm-hmm. out there in the world. Things, microaggressions, mm-hmm. um, all those sorts of things that it's important to call out as well. You know, um, this year I was given 30 books by my school district to read to my students. Five of those books had people of color in them. One of them had people of color that make up the majority of the students that I teach. Mm -hmm. My school is 97% Latinx, and one of those 30 books, one of those 30 books had Latinx people in them. And... How long has that been going on? This is my first year there. I had to be the one to call it out. Why? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what are you, what are what are you thinking? Like, there's nothing about that that is acceptable or appropriate for children. And so, um, I think it's really important that allies keep their eyes open all Mm -hmm. of the time. And I think also part of that is relationships, right? Making sure that you are deepening your relationships with people of color, Mm -hmm. um, because that's the only way that you're going to wake up, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the reason that I'm awake as an ally of the LGBT community is because of the deep relationships that I've established with people who are LGBT. Mm -hmm. So when I, when something happens, I see it and I know it in ways that I wouldn't have known it prior to those relationships and I'm able to call those things out. So, um, it's not enough to, um, 
stay in your white community in your in your white world and scream out, you know, be the white liberal who screams out against racism whilst having no people of color in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not going to work because you don't know and you can't know unless you have compassion. Yeah. You know, you, you carry that burden and we don't carry burdens that aren't ours. They become yours when you build mm-hmm. relationships with those mm-hmm. people who are not like you. So mm-hmm. that's what I would yeah. add to it. But Ariel, we were talking about compassion yeah. on the floor and at NCT and we said it's no longer empathy. Right. And we were saying that it's compassion and we looked up the roots of compassion and Remind me of the roots of compassion. It's to bear the burden, right? To mm-hmm. to carry the weight, to lay down your life. And you for, asked me, like, for another person, to lay your life down for another person. And I mean, that's that's what we're asking: is the allies that your heart's in it, that the compassion's there. Um, to wake up, it's going to be uncomfortable, but. All things have to be uncomfortable to grow. Growth is uncomfortable. It's not, it, it has to happen and we need compassion. We need a lot of compassion around us. It's for the kids. Yes, <laughs> that's ultimately yeah, it's for the it's kids. all of that, right? Yeah. It's for the kids, for all of the kids. Mm-hmm. For all of the kids. We're all better together. I think I struggle with trying to figure out the difference between compassion and empathy. Mm. How do I figure out the difference between compassion and empathy? I think that's an excellent question. I mean, this is what we were kind of wrestling with. I mean, I think empathy is feeling for somebody, but compassion is the action behind that feeling and doing something like, are you willing to give up something? Are you willing to put your life down? And I don't mean like like physically life or death, but... What about your life are you willing to give up in your comfort zone f- for the greater humanity of this world and peace? And if we think about all the social justice leaders that have come before us, they've lived with complete compassion for their people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you think about the, I mean, co, right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Like to, it's a togetherness. Yeah. That is different than just feeling. It's, yeah. it's more, yeah, the, the feeling may spark the fire, but what right. keeps the fire going is the, that the movement mm-hmm. of the wind. That's what keeps it. Well, and Trisha, you said, I mean, you said speaking up, say no. Yeah. That when a mm-hmm. comment is made, when mm-hmm. something horrible, just, just standing up and saying yeah. no. Yeah, just and I think just I mean we see this all the time practicing rehearsal with kids, like saying. That's not cool. <laughs> like yeah. right. you can't say that. Like yeah. that's not appropriate or that is that's a terrible yeah. thing to say. I work in a place where there's a tremendous amount of empathy um, shown to us by the community, but that comes in the form of money that comes Mm -hmm. in the form. Those people aren't on our campus. Mm -hmm. They're not engaging in relationships with us or the children that we teach. They're just throwing money at us, making themselves feel good, Mm -hmm. erasing that white guilt that Mm -hmm. they have Mm -hmm. and moving on with their lives. That's empathy. Compassion is the lovely lady who shows up to our school every Friday and spends time in our classrooms and helps teachers and actually gives up part of her life Mm -hmm. In order to yeah. 
So it's yeah. getting in there and doing the work. Yeah, yeah. and yes. being open to conversations because these conversations are tough yeah. and it, it, it can be uncomfortable. And like I said, we've been uncomfortable our entire life. And I feel like compassion is letting us have that conversation without taking it personal and being open. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not doing this to make you feel bad. I'm just doing this so we can work to get to a better place. Um, because not seeing it is the problem. And not being living in the community or living within that skin, it's hard to understand that perspective. Mm-hmm. So, like, let's work together and let me call you out in, in, in a productive, like... Loving way. Loving way <laughs> as colleagues and let's go to a better place here. I think it's about being authentic for us, being authentic to ourselves, because we've all been in positions where it's easier to to be quiet and not have the race conversation. And that the truth is, is that the hard work of teaching will keep us very busy. And, you know, that is, you know, something that we very often we'll put on the side. But I think that since we've started this work, I think we're all much more comfortable about bringing our identities into our classroom mm-hmm. and, and celebrating it. Yeah. I feel like by not having the race conversation, you're just putting it off. I think yeah. that if you're not having you're the race conversation, you're, you're not, do, we're not doing justice to ourselves yeah. as teachers of color. Yeah. We're not. I or think, to the children. Or to our to children. children. Yeah. You know, we found so much power in this space, in this space of color, I will call it. <laughs> and we um colorful we, space. <laughs> it's a very colorful space. And we've talked a lot about um, our experiences navigating white space and, you know, if we're honest, education is is a white space. So I think what we wanna talk about is how do we get to the point where there's not a we're not empowered just in our space of color and then we right. join hands and walk into the white white space. How do we make this space, you know, how do we make this space of education a space for everyone, mm-hmm. for everyone, the whole spectrum, all the colors. Let's stop having all the black kids mm-hmm. sit at the same lunch table together. You know, I've even seen that in professional development when we were at Booth Bay together last summer. Um, and Sarah was there with us as well. It's like every day we found ourselves together in our own little space mm-hmm. of color because it was such a white space and we were feeling, you know, oh, you can cut this out, but we were, what did you, we were feeling a little was it, uncomfortable was it? with this space, right? Not, not, not because we don't know how to navigate white right. space. We completely, obviously that's how we got here, but because we felt like it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't look oh, like you, that. Yeah. You shouldn't right. have to walk in a room and like every time, every single look time. to see. <laughs> if there's another time. person of color in the room or to be that one person who was chosen for a committee because mm-hmm. exactly the first our first Heineman Fellows meeting in Portsmouth Kim and I just kind of stared at each other the first night and then the next morning I broke the ice I just walked up to her and I said I'm so glad you're here I don't think either one of us really knew how it felt mm-hmm. to be in an elite space like this and not have to be the sole representative of our community of our people it changes everything I, wanna, I didn't even know what that like what it felt like to not have that burden and now I feel so free <laughs> what, you, you said something that navigating white space hmm. talk to me about that 
tell me about that. It's horrible. <laughs> it's yeah. It's horrible, especially when the microaggressions yeah. come with it. Like you're white enough. Yeah. That's one of the most. Or, or. I never thought of you. Uh, you know, I, I've had friends who I've said that. I've never thought of you as Filipino or Native American. I never. Th- I, I just. I, don't I forgot that. you were a person of color. It hurts because it's such a big part of who I am. And the teachers I had as a child encouraged me and they taught me how to navigate the space. If it weren't for my teachers of color, I wouldn't have known which box to check on a scholarship application. I wouldn't have known how to write about it um, in a way that benefited me throughout my life. I mean, I'm going to, I think, I mean, I think, you know, Colonization works in a lot of ways. It's mm-hmm. mental, mm-hmm. primarily. Yep. And I think that even for myself, being oftentimes the only person of color in whatever space I've usually been in, I've learned to, it's like that white adjacency. Like I have learned to navigate that space and to kind of be white in, in many different kinds of ways. That's and our border identity yes, right there. Yes, right. it's a white adjacency, right. especially for Asian Americans. I think there's a, there's definitely a white adjacency kind of issue. And um, and I fully own the res- my part in that, in not speaking, like I don't, I think for myself, I'm like, I don't, I think the reason that I, my colleagues might not think of me as a person of color is I don't, I don't bring issues up that are part of that cultural identity. And so I allow them, I allow them to be erased and I don't talk about them. And, um, but they don't also invite those conversations either. So I think it's this very complicated thing where I shouldn't have to, but yet you're never fully whole in the space. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what ends up happening. Like you just, and I, and I'm not saying this to to feel bad about myself Mm -hmm. and it's not about that, but I do think that part of it is knowing that I, and it started from a, as a young child, you know, like being the only one who, like my brother and I were the only kids of color in our school. And it was just erasing that, like not talking about what happens at home, you know, like not wanting to your culture to be like tokenized. You don't talk about it at all. So exactly. And it comes with a lot of rules yeah. too, right? And it's not, it's our fault too. It's not yeah, just, I, you yeah, know. Yeah, I bear responsibility for right, that. We bear a yeah. huge responsibility. I, my grandmother, whom I love with every bit of my heart, who just passed away last December, would always tell me when I went to go visit a white friend, like, white people are looking at you. Cover your head when you go to bed because when you wake up in the morning, your hair is crazy and white people don't want to see that. You know, so Wanda Sykes makes a joke about that. It's a common thread, right, in communities of color. White people are looking at you. White people are looking at you. I mean, it's to the extent that, like, I'll go into, I don't know, an airplane bathroom and it's a disaster in there but I know that I was the last person in there and I will clean it up I will clean that bathroom so nobody thinks that I made that mess because I am representing my people right so um, yeah it's you know be articulate in that space don't be too loud um, you know don't eat too much chicken or watermelon you know what I'm saying like don't do things that are going to perpetuate stereotypes that already exist about your people be another story and 
part of the stereotypes exist because they some of them are true, right? And so to not have to embody parts of who I, or to not be able to mm-hmm. embody parts of who I am mm-hmm. in a white space in order to not perpetuate stereotypes mm-hmm. is like mm-hmm. this you know, burden that I always carry. And there's a flip side of that too. The flip side of having to speak two languages, you know, when you're at school, you're going to have to be that switching constantly. Yeah, absolutely. But when you're home, you know, or with friends that you've grown up with, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Don't act too white. I thought it was interesting this summer. I think I was just like, like full of rage this summer, like just rage. And I I go back home to Phoenix and I'm I'm with my own and I do that on purpose to, to stay grounded, um, with my people and my father and I had this conversation and he's like, the Chicana in you is finally rising. And he's (laughs) like, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for you and your brother to finally rise as the Chicanos and the Chicanas that you are. And like Gloria Sandula talks yeah. about this, about the, the juggling and straddling yeah. of both cultures and how she talks about how we learn to tolerate inconsistencies and confusion mm-hmm. and this like hybrid identity develops. And with that comes power, the, like, the real mestiza comes out. Um, and I felt like for the first time, I'm 35 now, like I was finally empowered for that. And but we had to navigate. I've been navigating that space. I mean, from the time growing up to going to private colleges and universities and then different aspects of my work life. Just that navigation of going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, the code switching. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think most recently being able to be me. And I think that there's something magical about that. But I don't think I would have had that confidence without... Right. This. Nor would I no have had kidding. it without yeah. all of you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wrote about it, right? Mm. To Tiana with love. I mean, I literally felt like my whole teacher soul opened up by spending one day in Tiana's classroom because she stood in front of her children and I saw myself for the first, because I'd been working with white teachers for so long. And I, that's when I realized how much my identity as a person of color, as a person who has been through some things related to being a person of color, related to being a person who was raised in poverty, all of those things impact my teacher identity in ways I wasn't even aware of until I saw Tiana teaching. It was like that ugly duckling moment, right? Oh, I'm a swan. Oh my gosh. I'm a swan. I'm a black swan. I'm beautiful. So yeah. And it's, I mean, it's so interesting to me, like the, the common threads that exist between all of us, even though we're not the same, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's important too. I think, you know, people of color are also not all the same. So I think having a diverse group among mm-hmm. the Heinemann fellows of color is also important because I feel like I, you know, I've become woke to so many issues relating to other communities 
because of these women here. And like, and you were speaking about like that, um, that compassion comes from being deeply um, invested in another, in that relationship with another person and they become your burdens. Um, and then to understand the nuances too, among the struggles of different people of color and recognizing also, I think the privileges that each different group and each person kind of carries in those intersections. Um, and I don't think that would have been possible um, if not for this this diverse group of teachers of color already. My thanks to Trisha Ibarvia, Ariel Johnson, Anna Osborne, and Tiana Silvis for their time today. If you'd like to learn more about becoming a Heinemann Fellow, the applications are now open through February. Be sure to visit Heinemann.com fellows for more information and to read about the work the current class is doing. We'd love for you to subscribe to the Heinemann Podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can also leave a comment or review. We're also now streaming on the Stitcher and TuneIn Radio apps. You can follow Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann authors by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>